Hey everybody, it's a Northern Miner podcast minor moment. Welcome to the Northern Miner podcast, Miner Moment number 10. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. And today I'm in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, the capital of the country. And I'm with the CEO of Black Iron, Matt Simpson. Now I'm going to be writing an in-depth uh, story about the Black Iron Shymaniski project in central Ukraine. But uh, there are a lot of um, sort of macro geopolitical aspects to Ukraine. And Matt has been working in the country for many years now, so he has a unique insight into what's going on in the country and the mining in the country. So let's welcome Matt. Matt, how are you doing? Doing well, John. Okay. Matt, uh, first off, just I know it's a question everybody asks you right off the bat. What is the situation in the Ukraine politically, and what does it mean for a businessman? There's a lot of misconceptions, John, on the current status of the political situation in Ukraine. About four and a half years ago, there was an invasion in the eastern part of the country, and also in the island of Crimea. And that's about 450 kilometers away from where our site is. And after the Russians invaded the country, they never really moved that front line over that entire period of time. So mom and dad were continuing to go to work. Kids were going to school in the area that we're located. Probably the biggest disruption is unfortunately a lot of the people that are living in what's called the Donbass region of the country did have to get relocated out of their houses, which is, you know, very tragic in its own way. On a plus side for Black Iron, it meant that there's a lot more skilled labor available for our project construction and operation, though. I would think one of the first things people think of Eastern Europe is uh, corruption and heavy bureaucracy, especially on the Russian side. But uh, what are your experiences with uh, corruption, bureaucracy uh, in developing a project? So we, we have had our issues on Black Iron over the years. Um, in our case, because we're a Canadian publicly traded company, it's very important for us to operate in an ethical manner and really abide by some of our Foreign Corruption Act policies. So what we've done right from the get-go is anytime we've had a government inspector that's looked for any sort of graft or, or things that even might look like graft is just say no. And that has caused us over the years to have to go to court and have to um, basically have the courts turn over those issues. But it's really important, John, because if you set that right from the start that we're not a company that pays bribes, then our view is that you'll eventually break through and people will not try to extort any sort of money from you. Whereas if you take the approach that maybe it's quicker to just pay someone off, the problem is down the road, you'll have more and more people coming. They'll ask for more and more money and it's a slippery slope to nowhere. So we made the conscious decision right from the start to operate this ethically. What I'd also say to you, John, is that although Ukraine is very much a country in transition, over the past 18 months in particular, we have seen a very marked shift in the government where they are now putting a true anti-corruption court in place. They are starting to really crack down, really change. And uh, we're getting really good support for the project right now. One thing, uh, as I researched Ukraine a little bit before this trip, I was kind of shocked just how much the currency had depreciated. Could you just explain what happened there and where things are now? So Ukraine used to artificially peg the grivna at eight grivna to one U.S. dollar. And the country's government would self-fund to always make sure that it held at that pegged level. As part of the International Monetary Fund bailout of Ukraine, they required a number of different fiscal reforms. 
and probably one of the most meaningful was actually to unpeg the currency and let it free float, as is done in most countries. Once that happened, the Grievna pretty much skyrocketed up to around 26 to 1. This was back in 2015. And since 2015, so about three and a half years, roughly speaking, the currencies moved between around 26 and 30 to 1. So it's fairly stable in that, that 26 to 30. And if you look at some of the bank forecasts on the currency, people are leaning more towards the upper end of that range, probably 30, 31 long term. Practically, what does that mean for our project? It means our cost to construct the mine, our cost to operate are about two thirds of what they were before. If someone isn't familiar at all with mining in the Ukraine, what is going on? There's iron ore, there's coal, and some of this was affected by the crisis. Just could you just to give a broad picture of mining in Ukraine? Sure. So mining is a, is a huge part of Ukrainian culture. You're correct that there is quite a bit of um, iron ore mining. There was coal mining. Uh, there's bauxite mining, manganese mining. So this is a country that does have quite a bit of history. In terms of um, the steel sector specifically, the unfortunate thing is that most of the steel mills and coal mines are located in that Donbass region that, that we referred to earlier. Again, about 450 kilometers away from where we are. And when the Russians invaded the country, they did largely annex some of the steel mills and coal mines. Whereas all the iron ore mines are located right where our project is located. There's um, about seven mines in total in the city of Krivari, and five of those are within 40 kilometers of us. So during this whole period of conflict, those mines have continued to operate. The big change is that instead of using the iron ore domestically, they've largely exported that material. One thing um, I just learned on this trip is, uh, you know, you focus so much as an observer on the grade of concentrate, but there's also the issue of impurities in iron ore. Could you just explain what are the global trends going on right now with impurities in iron ore? What does that mean for the price? That's a very, very good point that you're raising, John, because a lot of people do just look at the benchmark iron ore price, and they don't realize that the iron content can really change the price but also the significance of some of the impurities and how that impacts the quality of steel. So speaking of both aspects, first talking a little bit about iron content, there's actually a structural shift where historically you'd get around 2 to $3 per 1% FE above or below 62%. And now you're seeing levels of more like 5 to $7. And the primary reason for that is that the higher the iron content in your ore, the less coal that's burned to make a ton of steel, which means less emissions. And globally, China is the largest consumer of iron ore, and they have a huge emissions issue. So they've shut down a number of the smaller steel mills in China. And with the larger mills, they're really pushing towards the high-grade product to reduce the emission output. In terms of the quality, this is also extremely important because not all steel is the same, or not all iron, I should say, is the same. If you have high phosphorus and high alumina, in particular, in your feed of your iron ore, it makes the steel brittle, which means it makes it weak. So if you're making, say, structural steel for a high-rise building, you want to make a rim for a car that might go over potholes, in, in both cases, you need to have steel that's going to be ductile, which just, just means that it can flex a little bit. So for that building example, if there's going to be a lot of wind against the building, even worse if it's in an earthquake-prone zone, you want the building to be able to move a little bit without having the steel crack. And the only way to economically get that, that phosphorus and alumina down is to blend with ores that are very low in phosphorus and, and alumina. So here in, in, in uh, Ukraine, you have ores that are very, very low in those contaminants, much like what you have in Canada, whereas the ore in Australia is actually getting higher and higher in phosphorus and alumina. So even though they have a very low cost of delivery to China, 
China still does require to blend down some of that material from ores like what we have in Ukraine. And when I used to work for Rio Tinto in Canada, as an example, we used to ship to Blue Scope Steel in Perth, Australia, despite having some of the highest resources of iron ore in the world in their backyard, just so they can make that high purity steel. Good stuff, Matt. Okay. And I think that's good for now. I just wanted to get this uh, message out about the Ukraine immediately. And uh, if you look in the Northern Miner in an upcoming issue, we'll have the full report on Black Iron's uh, iron ore project here in Ukraine. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show, John. And I'm here with Matt Geiger. He's a fund manager out of San Francisco. And like myself, he's a first-time visitor to the Ukraine. Uh, Matt, just what are your impressions of the country so far, especially from an investment perspective? Well, John, it's been a pleasure traveling with you over the, the past few days. And I will say I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen. The general perception from outside of Ukraine is that this is a country at war. But from what we've seen, this is certainly not the case. I think one point that's worth bringing up is Ukraine is a massive country. And while there was the Russian invasion in early 2014, where they annexed Crimea and some other parts of the Eastern Territory, there's been no movement since then over the past four years. From what I'm seeing, this is not a country at war. There's no uh, you know, armed troops in the street. People are optimistic, very patriotic, uh, and, and believe in the, in the future of Ukraine. So I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the environment here especially with the depressed currency, there seems to be pretty phenomenal opportunity for foreign direct investment to make money in the country. Additionally, the infrastructure that you see here is, is pretty impressive. Uh, everywhere you go in the country, you're either seeing uh, railways or, or power lines um, going over, and, and particularly from Black Iron's perspective. I mean, they're located in, within a 25-mile radius of five different iron ore mines. And as we know, for these bulk commodities, it's particularly important to have the infrastructure already in place for the economics of the project. So to me, that's made a big impression on me. While this is viewed as a third world, world country, there's a lot of infrastructure that's already in place from Soviet times. And from our experience, it's all operating and working well. So I think country or companies working working in the country can, can take advantage of and, and piggyback off of all the infrastructure that's already been built. And additionally, a lot of the investors that I've talked to about Ukrainian opportunities are very averse to the geopolitical risk. But it's a bit confusing to me because a lot of these same investors are active in the Congo and other pretty sketchy jurisdictions around the world. From my perspective, from what we've seen, this passes Marin Katusa's quote-unquote AK-47 test, whereas whether we're in Kiev or elsewhere in the country, especially around uh, Black Iron's uh, project outside of KR or Kiravri, it's really uh, safe. Um, no soldiers walking around. People are out living um, life and uh, does seem open for business. 